to welcome you all to this little show that we call A Cup of Joe. It is a little after 5 o'clock Pacific time on a Wednesday afternoon slash evening this time of year. And um, we got a really big show coming up today, and as much as always. Uh, we're going to try to have a one-hour one hour show, but, you know, it's not easy. I'm working on it. I'm absolutely working on it. And this is part two of probably a three-part series about court support, about the human solution, about being effective. <clears throat> Hell, it might go more, but my goal is to really talk deeply about things that work, about grassroots organizing, about court support in particular, about what it takes to be successful. You know, I've been working with activists and volunteers Oh, shoot, I think more than 20 years now in various different capacities. Hell, when I was 18 years old, this is now, I guess, back in 1985 or 86, <clears throat> I organized a bunch of volunteers to go out to Silverado Canyon and clean it up. <clears throat> and I didn't have any organization. I didn't have a 501c3. Hell, I didn't have anything. I just had a telephone. I didn't even have a cell phone. I don't even think there was the Internet yet. But I got probably 25 or 30 people <clears throat> to come together and meet up at a trailhead and bring food for everybody and water and to bring trash bags. And I organized, a, I don't know, probably a half a mile hike. I don't remember how far we walked. <clears throat> but we spread out in a line. I think there was 25 or 30 of us. And we fanned out across the canyon and we marched. And we picked up the trash that we saw. And we came back with uh, two full truckloads of trash. I think there's 30 or so full trash bags. And um, it only took a couple of hours. And we came back and we had some good times and ate and smoked and talked and, and uh, fellowshipped. And then we hauled the trash back and dumped it off at some dumpsters. And we're done with it. And that was activism. That was seeing something that needed to be done, organizing it, and doing it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Hell, I had a time of my life I made very few good choices. But that was my first taste of just deciding something needed doing, and it wasn't going to do itself. I like hiking in the forest. I like hanging out with people. I don't like looking at trash. So it just seemed like that was a reasonable solution to it, and it worked. Now, there was no blueprint for it. There was no organization to call and, and get help with. There was no money involved. Nothing was exchanged. And like I said, this is before Facebook. This is before the Internet, before Twitter, and all the fancy tools we have today. And we still did it. I look back through history, and I look at some of the most famous uh, civil rights movements, and they were all before the Internet. You look at the marches on Washington for the Vietnam War to end the Vietnam War. Um, one of the main contributing factors of the Vietnam War, War actually ending was all of the people protesting against it. It had a dramatic impact. Richard Nixon was scared to death of all the protesters, and ultimately it ended. 
Martin Luther King Jr. organized marches, all kinds of things. You look at and look at the the vast history that he has of all the organizing he did. There's no internet. There's no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. There was none of that. No, no, it wasn't even a cell phone. Not even a pager. It was just getting together, caring enough about something that it mattered, and putting the word out and communicating. Communicating. All right. That's our first key word, communicating. We're going to remember that keyword because there's going to come a time when I'm going to say, what's the first keyword? And I'll give you a direction. Today we're going to have a fun show. We're going to have some contests and prizes. Uh, as you all might know, maybe you don't know, I am working on this little thing called the Walk for Change. The Walk for Change is a march of sorts. You might call it that. A bunch of amazing people have decided it's worth their time and energy to carry a message of hope and making all the changes we want to see known with a plan of action and a direction and cooperation. And we're going to march across the country from the West Coast to Washington, D.C. Now imagine the impact of that as the media picks it up, as major players begin to sponsor it, as people that we would want to know about this would know about it and care about it, participate in it. Imagine what this could accomplish. Now, some of you are already involved, understand what we're doing. Some of you think it's a pipe dream and say, ah, good luck with that one. I've seen you all do stuff before. Have fun with that. Some of you just don't think it could happen. Some of you say, ah, it's not even worth putting the effort into. But if you were to peek up under the hood and see what's brewing right now, you'd go, holy shit. You ever see the movie? It was a movie a long time ago, I think probably back in the 80s. It was called The Wreath. And it was kind of a dumb movie, but it was a movie about a guy who came back as a ghost, and he had this car that had this friggin' demonic engine, and it was awesome. And they popped the hood open, and rrr, this friggin' crazy engine was inside. Well, it's something like that. It's out of this world is what I'm trying to tell you. And a lot's going to be revealed in the days and weeks coming up. But this is a, a, a sneak peek, a look into it. So we're going to be doing a bunch of contests today, and the contests are going to yield you a T-shirt t-shirt for the walk for change and the front of it looks like this and it's our current version of our logo it says walk for change justice for all liberty and justice for all and it's kind of the essence of what this is about we want liberty and justice for all right and it has a current list of sponsors and it's a cool thing we got a woman's shirt with a nice little v-neck and a contoured fit for all you ladies out there and we got a men's t-shirt Standard men's T-shirt. Same graphics both sides. So, as we're going along, I've got my amazing screener, Becca. We're going to keep Becca busy today. <clears throat> as we're going along, I'm going to give you opportunities to call Becca and answer the question. And if you answer the question, she'll take down your information, and you will get a T-shirt. <clears throat> so, the very first thing I want you to remember, if you're paying attention right now, I really... 
don't have any way to see how many people are watching, but as I've been watching the, the show develop, this is only going to work in the live version of this. So if you're used to watching the rerun of it or so, you know, some other version, Becca won't be there when you uh, when you listen to that part. So this is only going to happen between 5 and 6 p.m., maybe a little later, but probably between 5 and 6 p.m. Here Wednesday, uh, the 29th, I think, yeah, 29th of January, 2020. So I'm going to give you a letter. This is one letter, letter one of four. The letter is G. Keep it in mind. It's going to come uh, to have a value as the show progresses, letter G. It's the only time I'm going to say it. So today's show, we're going to be talking about court support. We're going to be talking about effective organizing. We're going to talk about obstacles. We're going to talk about failure. We're going to talk about... Um, what it takes to win. You know, everybody loves a winner, right? Everybody loves being a winner, that's for sure. I don't know anybody that doesn't like to be a winner. Not everybody loves a winner because some winners are assholes. I know plenty of winners that are just jerks. And I don't like plenty of them. But it doesn't mean they're not winners. It doesn't mean they don't have value and they aren't worthy of whatever it is they won. What separates our success from our failure? What is it that makes a win when it comes to grassroots organizing, when it comes to standing up for what's right, when it comes to court support, when it comes to making positive changes in the world? What is it that makes that happen? What's the difference between that and everything else? Because if you're into winning, then everything else is losing, right? You ever talk to people and they talk about how they're trying. You know what trying is a is another word for? Failing. Because the people that are actually doing, they don't talk about trying. They talk about doing. I did. Here it is. I did this. Here it is. I did that. We're in the process and here's where we're at. That's the kind of terminology that people that get stuff done do. But lots of people talk about, well, I'm trying this, and I'm working on that, and I think, and that, and that, and that. And that's the recipe for not success, as I've seen in the history of what we've been doing. So I'm going to hopefully get you guys to participate a little bit today and talk about some examples of things. And as we're moving forward, I want to bring up one term here. I'm going to call it an acronym. I'm going to call it PMA. Anybody knows what I'm referring to? PMA. The three letters, letter P, letter M, letter A, they each stand for something, and each of them are very important. Every single one of those words that are ascribed to those letters are important. So if you know what PMA means, you get to win a prize. If you pick up the phone and dial 646-929-2495, and Becca will screen the call, and you, you tell her the answer to what PMA means, you win a prize, straight up. And if we get to that place, she'll, uh, she'll put you on, and you'll get to tell us what it is, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a more of a discussion about that. So... Um, we're going to go ahead and go five minutes for that. So if we get an answer by uh, uh, 20 minutes after the hour, 
or 21 minutes after the hour, then we got a prize winner. If not, I'll answer it and I'll win the prize and I'll get all the shirts and I will wear them and be happy and proud about it. Now we're probably going to have Craig Cecil calling in today. He did send me a message saying he's no longer on lockdown, which is the reason that uh, he got locked out. And I'll be making an announcement through Craig because I want him to hear about it at the same time. Um, we, I think, began talking about it last week, but it's, it's moving forward, so we're going to be talking about it with Craig on the line. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is failure. Failure. You know, failure is one of those things that losers, and when I say loser, I'm not making a personal judgment on you. I'm talking in general terms. There's people that get what they want. There's people that don't. So if you're a person who generally doesn't get what you want, then this is the kind of thing that you might fit into. It doesn't mean you have to. doesn't mean at any given moment you might decide, well, hell's bells. I think I'm done with that. Let's go try that other thing. You know, the great thing about being a human, I just can't share enough about that. I love being a human being. I just freaking love it. You know why? Because every day I wake up and it's a brand new day. Every single day, if I decide to, I can do anything I want. I got nothing in my way. If I decide I don't want it in my way. I could have the world in my way, and I could be stopped, and I could be stuck, and I could not be able to go anywhere. Or I might say, here's where I'm going, and I could go there. Well, that's the thing about failure. All right? So failure is setting out to accomplish something, and for some reason or not, not accomplishing it. Maybe something got in your way. Maybe something horrible happened. Maybe you just couldn't figure it out. Maybe you made the wrong choice. There's a thousand ways to fail. Trust me, I have failed them all, and I'll probably keep on failing. Now, to some people, the failure is devastating. You know, many of us have a PMA for a while, and we get moving along at a good pace, and then all of a sudden we fail and we get shot to hell. We get shot down and can't get back up. Our spirit is crushed. We get depressed. We get down. Oh, there's country songs written about this and blues songs written about this. And you know what? It happens. It's life. But you know what? Some of us, some of the time, fail, and when you're laying down there, looking up at the world, now I may have told this story before, but probably not all that is on today was listening. This is sort of a relevant story, but it's certainly a moment of looking up at the world. When I was young, I used to drink quite a bit, and I mean real young. I was in my teens. And I used to hang out at this lake that was near my house quite a bit. And I uh, would go down there and I'd go catfishing and pot smoking and drinking and carousing and all the things that a, a youngster would do. And I had a friend of mine who had a horse and she'd come around and she'd once in a while be dumb enough to let me ride the thing. And one night, one day, I, it was a, I don't know, an afternoon, probably a weekend because I would it was in the middle of the afternoon. I had been drinking up pretty good, and I was a bit hammered, and 
she let me get on that horse, and she was riding bareback, and I said, I got this, no problem. And I get on this horse, and we're clopping along, and everything good, and then all of a sudden, the horse knew I was hammered, and the horse is like, fuck you, and took off. Oh, boy, and I'm not that great of a horse rider to begin with, and uh, drunk me is even a worse horse rider. So, <coughs> within a few seconds, I was falling off the horse. Well, as I kind of leaned back, and I was losing my footing, if you would call it that, my seat, my seating, the horse knew what was going on, and it reared its back legs up and tossed my ass off. Whoosh, I go flying. I had no shirt on. I was wearing shorts and flip-flops. And around the lake has this stuff called DG, decomposed granite. So it's not soft like sand, but it has little teeny rocks all throughout it. It's not like gravel, but it's kind of between sand and gravel. And I go flying off, and I land on my back. <laughs> I'm got my wind knocked out of me. And like I said, I'm maybe 17, 18 years old. I don't remember, but I was... Not young enough. Well, I was young enough, old enough to know better, probably, but I, I certainly wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't knowing any better. And I'm laying there looking up at this horse, and I'm like, oh, geez, this is terrible. And the horse looked at me, and the horse reared his legs up again, and he came down, and boom, and he pummeled me, got a hook right to my chest, <laughs> bruised me, knocked the wind out of me drove gravel into my back, and I just remember laying there, just remember laying there and looking up at that horse, and the horse took off, and I'm like, I'm fucked, because my friend, who I actually liked, she was cool, and she had the horse, however, her horse got away, it was running down the road, and I was laying there on my back with a hoof print in my chest and gravel stuck in my shoulders. And I remember thinking to myself, I better come up with something pretty quick. I better solve this. And I, if you can ever shake off a drunk, I think I shook off a drunk. And I got back, and I got the horse, and I brought her back. And hobbled my way back, apologized, and made it right. But that was an example, a weak example, of what happens when you're in that failure spot. I was a miserable failure by all accounts. Would you not agree? And... The difference is some folks might lay there and just start crying or or not be able to get up, but even at that age, at the young, tender, stupid age of whatever I was, I was able to get up and figure this thing out and move on. And that's the thing that we got to remember, because we fail all the time, you know. I, I believe strongly that failure is the school of winners. Failure is how people that get what they want out of life learn from. And I'm 100% confident of that. In fact, as you get older and hopefully wiser, you, you look for learning opportunities and you learn to recognize them quickly so you can learn from them and not repeat them. And, and I want to hear about your failure stories. So we have a winner here, and uh, we're going to bring her up. So we've got uh, we got a winner. We're going to be talking about that answer here up next. And then we're going to bring up Mike Webb, and he's going to be talking about a 
situation that just happened regarding court support. So the next uh, opportunity to win here is, have you ever experienced a failure that you were able to turn around and learn from and better your situation from? And it doesn't have to do with pot, and it doesn't have to do with court support, but it just has to do with a failure in general. Do you have a situation where you failed miserably and you picked yourself up off the ground, shook yourself off, and said, you know what? I'm going to take this and make something out of it. Call up 646-929-2495. Let Becca know what it is, and you will win a T-shirt as well. All right. We're going to go to Terry, the winner, and let's see what's up here, see if she has the answer. Terry, what do we get for PMA? What does that mean? I learned in finance school a long time ago, positive mental attitude. You're absolutely correct. Positive mental attitude. Hold on. Where the hell is my cowbell? Honey, I need my cowbell. Hang on one second. You best give me the cowbell. I need some cowbell. Hang on one second here. We need more cowbell. I have two cowbell. over here. <laughs> we got a winner. More cowbell. All right. Terry, you are a winner, winner, chicken dinner. So uh, go ahead and let let Becca know what, uh, what size and uh, type of shirt you want, and she will hook you up. Now, positive Before. mental attitude. We're going to talk about that. Tell me a little bit about positive mental attitude. What do you think uh, – how does that impact your life since you know what it is? So you just asked the second question, so I'm just going to tie both of them together. Um, cool. you, you asked about a failure that turned into a positive, and I wanted to tell about that as well. So, hey, here I am. Um, so oh, wait, we, wait, wait. Uh, you, Stop for one second. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. We'll stop for one second. So Terry is now going to parlay this into a double win. She's going to win two T-shirts. However, that's not where this contest ends. Anybody who calls in with a story about turning a failure into a success will win a T-shirt. There's no limit to how many people can win this one. So go ahead. Continue on. So um, as you know, we had a yoga studio, and um, we were being priced out of our city where, of Huntington Beach where we started. And we were really bummed out. We were the first yoga studio in Huntington Beach, and we were so bummed. And we were like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're never going to find another spot, location, location, location. This is great, blah, blah, blah. So uh, my partner and I, we left, and we were both of the school of PMA, and so we said, what will we do? So we just start cruising down PCH, and we ran into a building that was for rent, and we were like, it's on PCH, we can't afford this, but no, yes, we can, we can afford this. So we took the phone number, and we left, and we're, you know, our yoga studio is closing at the end of the month. So we went and we called, and the dude didn't call us back for maybe two and a half to three weeks. And I kept calling him and calling him and calling him. Finally, I found the email out for him. And I emailed him up, and I just sold him on us. And I 
was like, we can't lose, you know? And so we were really bummed. We didn't know what to do. A whole community was going to be split apart. And, you know, it was devastating. So we wound up renting 1365 Pacificos Highway in Field Beach. And we said, you know what? We're, we're only getting this little space. It's an office, but we're turning it into a yoga studio. And then over the course of a year, we took over every other rental in that building. And downstairs, we turned it into a holistic healing center. We had a massage therapist, three acupuncturists, an organic Ayurveda esthetician, marmotherapy, cupping. It was better than we ever could imagine. And we were so devastated that a whole community was going to be left with nowhere. And what were we going to do? We weren't going to take the, our, put our tails between our legs and walk away. And, you know, so we created a whole better program. And we got a teacher training program and we put off all kinds of new instructors and we just turned it into like one of the most amazing things. Well, besides this, and Willow Creek Springs, another one of the most amazing things I've been involved in in my life. Awesome. I, I absolutely love that story, and, and that's a perfect example of uh, rather than being daunted. And I, and I watch people be daunted every day. You know, they tell me about, well, I couldn't do it because this thing happened. And, um, and I've got dozens of court support stories that, that are going to, Line up with that. So thank you so much, Terry. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you. And uh, you got two T-shirts that you've just one for me and Winner chicken dinner. You can either come over here and pick them up, or let Becca know uh, what sizes you want. We'll get them to you. All right, brother. You have a good night, and it's a great show. Right, I just wanted to get better and better and better. Awesome. Two wins. All right. So there we go, two examples. All right, the second letter of the final contest of the night is R. R, remember it, R for remember it. Okay, so now we're going to jump into court support. I'm hoping uh, Craig calls, but I don't know. It's getting kind of late for his normal call, but who knows, he might. So with regards to court support, um, we're going to dissect it a little bit today, and, and it's my suspicion as we're going to go deep, we're going to tell a lot of stories and not be able to get all the way to the end of everything there is to talk about it. But one of the things that court support requires to be successful is a fire. you gotta, you got to be doing everything you can to, to win. you got to plan this thing out. you got to figure it out. And generally what happens with court support is we do the best we can. And generally what we do is as much as we can. We Generally what happens is something. And something's always better than nothing. <clears throat> but we're going to talk in, after Mike gets on and tells us about what just happened because sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And even when we don't screw up, we still lose sometimes. And that isn't the end of the story. We're, I'm going to tell a real short story about my case and uh, an example of it and what was what seemed to be the end was just, the middle somewhere. So, as many of you know, or, or hopefully a bunch of you don't know anything about it, uh, a 
few years back, I I uh, had a felony case. I had a dispensary, was raided, was being charged with sales of a controlled substance. Um, and I had a co-defendant that had a few other charges. They were all pot-related. Everything was ridiculous. And I had gone to great lengths to organize support for myself, and we'll get into some of the details about that. But it was as successful of a court support as I've ever seen or been part of. Um, and it was an 18-day trial, and or it was an 18-day trial, I should say, and it was, I don't know, I think a total of uh, over 100 pretrial hearings. We spent a lot of time at that courthouse, and we had an, a protest for 18 days. We had hundreds and hundreds of people. We had news coverage. We had newspaper coverage. We had a... But what we had was a crooked judge who had an agenda, and he was going to get what he wanted one way or another. And after everything was done, and, and I'd say we did a really good job generally with court support. We did as good of a job as I could have, and I as good of a job as I did. But just about every single day the courtroom was packed, and many days it spilled out into the hallway. And every day there was a rally out in front of the courthouse. And again, this happened for essentially a month. And I can remember when the jury went out, and it was one of the most stressful times. You know, you want to talk about PTSD. Um, survive a jury verdict, and you will have it. I still have it. I've had dreams very sporadically now, but I've had probably for sure dozens of dreams of being waiting for the jury to come back. And I've sat in jury deliberations for many friends and people. Um, and, uh, Jeff, I, I can't answer Facebook Messenger while I'm doing the show. I just can't do it. So I'll try to get to you. That's, that's the best I can do right now. <clears throat> for everybody who thinks I can talk on Facebook Messenger and do a show at the same time, would you like me to? Because then I'll be staring at one thing while I'm trying to do another. It's just terrible. So... Please don't message me while I'm talk, trying to talk because it just screws me all up. I'm not that smart. Anyways, when it all came down to it, the jury got the case, and uh, my attorney did as good of a job as he could. We were hamstrung the whole way. But the jury got to see that there was community support, and there was clear messaging involved, and that, that part of it I, I felt we did pretty good. And I remember they called me up. And they said, all right, the jury's back. And I can just remember my, the tension in my chest and my, underneath my wrist. Like you can tell where tension is born, where it, where it, where it lives. And it was almost crushing. Like I'm not a person who deals, who gets anxiety or, or, or depression or any of that stuff. But I can remember feeling like I was being crushed at that moment, like it was almost hard to breathe, and I had lung problems anyways, but it wasn't that kind of a thing, it was just like literally I was being crushed from all directions just a little bit, and I remember coming up and sitting at the table, looking at the jurors, and they were looking back at me, and I was like, God, I, I hope you guys did the right thing, and I'm sitting there at the table, and they first read the verdict of my co-defendant, and they found him guilty of all counts, and I was like, holy shit, well, hopefully they thought he was the bad guy, and I was all right, so I had a moment of hope, and the next thing, they found me guilty of all counts, 
And you want to talk about a failure? <laughs> Find yourself convicted by a jury supposedly of your peers after giving it everything you had to defend yourself and to organize support for yourself. And you had lots of people around you and everything was right as could be. And you got convicted. And that was that moment of, of, of failure. Now we'll go on. We'll talk about how I turned that around. But um, we just had a, took some lumps today. And so we're going to bring up Mike Webb. Now Mike Webb I've been working pretty close with over the last year and uh, been doing some great work organizing court support in Kansas. And um, doing a whole lot more than that. But recently we got a case that... Uh, uh, went to trial and uh, we got a hung jury. We were feeling great about it, and then it went to the second, the second, uh, the second trial, and that all just went down. And why don't you give us a little uh, update, Mike, on what happened? Need to turn your mic on, please. Mike, can you uh, get your mic on? I don't have a way to do that over here. Oh, here we go. We're connecting. Taking a minute. It's doing it Kansas time. Here we go. The best radio ever as we wait. This is like waiting for a jury to come back. And we're sitting here. There we go. Oh, still can't hear you. All right. Well, while we're waiting for Mike audio to come up, I am going to give you the third letter. third letter is I. Sorry, I. Joe. Oh, there you are. All right, cool. Don't forget I. That's the third letter of that word. All right, Mike and Sarah both, congratulations, welcome, and thank you for being here. Love the shirt, Sarah. Yes. That looks like an official Walk for Change t-shirt. Yep, it sure is. I got it in the mail, I think, yesterday. So this is the medium and the woman. So. Awesome, awesome. Uh, All right, so, Mike, well, tell us what's going on. What happened out there? You can set it straight up if you want, David. Um, well, you know, we had a mistrial on the first, uh, in the first time, and then on the second one, I mean, we felt like he was going to pull through and, they have unanimously found him guilty. Yep, yep. And so, you know, the thing that we got to remember is that we have a, a criminal justice system that's got problems. It's got all kinds of inherent problems. And, you know, you know every single time that one of our people gets convicted, there's always evidence that had it been presented, it would have changed everything. But the courts allow what gets right. to be introduced into evidence and what doesn't, and you know, that's why it's so important that when somebody's actually going to fight their case that they start making a plan because you got to have a plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D because if you think to yourself, well, hell, this is what happened, so all i got to do is show them, well, they may not let you show half of what happened. And then what? What if they block out this part and that part and that part? Do you still got a case? And, you know, this was a screwed-up case because they had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, possession with intent to sell based on a sheer amount. But the problem was they didn't allow 
the defendant to testify to his medical needs, which would have easily justified it. So, but then he used that against him in the closing statement, so. Yeah, in the closing arguments, the DA even asked the jurors that when he testified, he said he never once claimed that he used this medicinally. And they had already suppressed his records, his ability to let the doctor's testimony in. So it was like a stab in the back. But you know what? The good thing about that is it's on the record. So one of the things that happens, and this is something that happened for me. So in my case, it, it happened kind of backwards for me because in my case, a judge actually overruled the jury verdict because it was that heinous of all the stuff that happened. And we'll talk about that as we move along. But in the appeal, the prosecutor with a team of two prosecuting attorneys, two appellate attorneys against my one, tried to prove their case that they had a fair trial and they couldn't do it because of the record. Now, the thing is, is, is in, a, in a case ultimately where we lose, it's better that we lost a lot rather than just barely lost because chances are there's items in that record that can be brought up on appeal and ultimately the appellate courts generally seem to rule more fairly than the criminal cases and the reason why that is is generally the appellate courts are a panel of three judges rather than one judge and they only have the record of the trial to go over not what didn't came in and didn't come in they get to see everything that got tried to put in and didn't get put in they get to see it all so frankly unfortunately we get the best um the best hope with the appellate in a case like this probably but the good news is is this it sounded like the way you explained it to me they didn't take him into custody is that true and it sounds like yeah no he's he's been Go ahead. Why don't you explain the situation from here and now? Because it could go in a lot of ways. When they, I've watched guys get convicted, and right then the judge remands them into custody pending their appeal. And I've seen plenty of times where they out to re, they're allowed to remain out prior to sentencing, and then in some cases even allowed to remain after sentencing prior to appeal. So, what what, what happened here? Well, yeah, they. He's got 10,000 grounds for appeal. Uh, they made sure to raise every objection about things. And at one point, even he had won a dismissal or something, and the state appealed it. And then I guess it was supposed to get kicked back to the same judge, and they kicked it back to a different judge, and this judge changed his mind. And uh, it's been going on for six years. So, I mean, it's uh, – and not only that, but there's even a little bit of politics, I think, behind this, the way this judge handled this case. Uh, you know, once you get involved in a little bit of politics, you can kind of see some things. And he kind of specifically asked for a departure. He told them that he assumed there would be one filed, which means that they're going to give him an extremely light sentence. So the judge can run the trial roughshod and then be magnanimous in the end. Well, I'm not really trying to prosecute this. Right, right. I'd really like to do great for you. You know, I think this is whatever. You know what I mean? And he right. gets the conviction and makes himself look, you know, you know how this works. I do. You know what I, mean? I do. I've seen it happen so many times. And here's the thing, too. Even in a case like this, or say this thing gets departed and he gets some kind of a probation with no 
no prison time, no jail time of any kind. Maybe not even community service. Maybe it's just a straight-up probation. And maybe it's even so much as, a, as an unsupervised probation where he gets to go back to California and check in once in a while, and that's it. The problem is he's a felon, and that doesn't change. And even in California where there's expunging, and we're going to do a whole show on expungement, what it is and what it's not, because people are really mistaken about expungement. And they're like, oh, I got my thing expunged, so I'm good. It's like, yeah, unless you try to do something, because they'll always find it. Uh, but we'll get to that. You know, there, there, there's expungement isn't all it's cracked up to be, and we're just a bunch of foolish sheep thinking that it is. And that's what happens. But better than nothing. In this day and age, it's better to own it and say what you've done and what you've become out of it rather than try to hide it anyway. Couldn't Some agree more. see it as an asset. I've seen ads for sales representatives. Hey, if you sold drugs, it's a sales job. How successful were you? I love it. I love it. And you know what? I think over time, that's ultimately where we're heading is some common sense brought into this. You know, people that are business people and people that are, um, that are successful, they recognize the value in things. And, you know, these, these artificial, um, I don't know, obstacles that get thrown at us, like being a felon, like uh, whatever. If you actually look and say, and, and do a search on, on felons who turned out to be successful, turns out there's a whole bunch of them. But you know what? Frankly, it puts a big wet blanket over most people, and, and it keeps most people from getting where they might already go. And so that judge can still trip him up and feel good about himself, and, you know, it could wreck the rest of his life if, if he doesn't, you know, have the, the, the wherewithal to, to stand up and keep moving forward. If he doesn't have the thing that, that my magic word is that, one day, or soon enough, people will have a chance to get that. <laughs> so you guys have a bunch more going on. Now, this last court support was relatively uh, quick and painless, and I understand the judge even recognized your um, compliance in the courtroom in some way. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here. <laughs> yeah. I was proud. I had to give him a couple of nudges through the trial, and he will be having to come back to Kansas April 17th, I believe, or 17th, just so you guys know the date. But, yeah, I had to nudge him a few times, but he did really well. It was, it was realistically, though, another form of the judge being magnanimous. Yeah. <laughs> because the whole point of me raising my hand in the first place was because I was going to explain to them what we were actually doing while they were assuming it. Right. And he, never, he, he intentionally did not ask me any of those questions. He just said, you know, great job. Yeah. You are farted, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, man, I see you. Right. That's okay, Joe. I'm actually going to try to, and I'm probably going to have to wait until this case is closed, but I'll probably actually reach out to this judge yeah. and uh, sit down and talk to him about some of the problems in the criminal justice system. I think that's a really be a part of the solution instead of just doing the things that he's doing. He is helping in some ways, but it's not quite what we need. I totally agree, and that's, that's the kind of – go ahead. Oh, you're okay. Go ahead. It's a different topic. Oh. I got excited. Well, that, that's the kind of thinking that we need, though. You see, when we, we, we go through life thinking that this is our enemy and we got to avoid this and we got to do that, but the truth is every single person that's involved could be an ally, and, and, and everybody's a person. Every cop that gives you grief. Now, Mary Donnelly, every time she comes on, if you've ever heard what she has to say, she just has this way of recognizing, you know, that poor dumbass cop, he just doesn't know any better. I know, I'll teach him. 
And you guys did that out there when I was up at the hearing. Poor dumbass cops talking shit on us, and the next thing you know, you're educating them. And the next thing you know, they they were thinking. You know, and that's all we want. We want people to think and see what's in front of them. You know, the truth is we're righteous. We're not out there trying to hurt anybody. We're actually just trying to make the world better. <clears throat> so, anyways, go on. You, you that's have... awesome. That's where you went. Yeah, that goes right into what I was going to talk about. We went in there, and the sheriff kind of had a target on our backs already anyway. You know, one of the I was the first one to walk in, and he's like, you don't have any pamphlets today, do you? <laughs> and I was like, look, man, here's the deal. I am going to be big enough to tell you that that was never our intention. Good. We didn't come in here in, in a way of trying to cause disrespect. It was pure ignorance on my part, and I will take the blame for that one. I should have known a little bit more about sport sport before I came in acting like I knew what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> and I apologize to all of you because we didn't mean to make a hostile situation. Awesome. And the vibe kind of seemed to chill out a lot after that, too. So He did tell us, though, that they were looking to find statutes that they could charge us. Of course they were. Of course they were. And that's what they do. They look for some reason, and that's why we got to have a plan. You know, when when – when I was organizing my my trial, I got raided in December 2009. I got charged in December 2010, and I got hauled out of court and put into custody after they charged me. So that's a year after I was raided. And then in December 2011, I was convicted. So it was a span of two years from raid to conviction, and then it was Two more years after that, or three more years after that, till the appeal was done, and they finally dropped the case. So, where was I go- going with that? Oh, so, so along the way, as, as I was preparing for the trial, I had two, almost two full years. I had a year and three quarters to actually get ready to organize support for this thing, right? I, I had already beat one case. Prior, so I already knew about court support. We had already developed the human solution. It already existed. So I was going in there guns a-blazing. I'm like, all right, you know, we're bringing everything we got. So I was thinking and planning and speaking and, and, and rallying and doing all this stuff already from the beginning. But you know what I did is I actually coordinated what we called a strategic plan. And it was just like a business plan. And I had broken this thing down into segments, into media, messaging. I mean, I literally kind of like what we're doing for Walk for Change. And I had people in charge of this. We had food for the demonstrators. We had, I mean, you know, every ride share. We had we had people that were calling. We had a whole list of people that said they would help. And you know what? Two days before every court event, we had somebody call everybody on that list. And you know what happened? Every time we did that, we'd get 30% more people show up than had we not called. And there was people that you get through, you know, you wouldn't get through to most of them, but it didn't matter. If I got through a one out of four, one out of five, and one out of four of those said yes, I got more people in court. And we did that every single time. And we'd send out messages, emails. I created a newsletter. I mean, I wouldn't let anybody go. We'd go to an event. I'd say, hey, want to help? Cool. we get that number, and it was ours. And, and, and out of doing that, we rallied sometimes two, 300 people to that courthouse and organized protests. And then in the middle of lunchtime, somebody would drive up with pizza for everybody or some restaurant would sponsor lunch for everybody. I mean, it was it was a well-oiled machine. In spite of all that work, I still got my ass handed to me, but we kept going. And ultimately, that's what's important here. So here's the key to this. Right now, he's going to be sentenced. 
On the 18th of April, you say, right? Maybe the 17th. Okay. So that's a good long time to organize support for that. Now, one of the only times, now I see people out there on, on, on social media and doing all these, these calls and these, you know, phone calls to this and signs for that and petitions and all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying not to do it. It's good for morale. It makes you feel good and lets you know people care. But the one place letters actually matter is right now, prior to sentencing. There's a place where the judge has to allow for community support of the defendant. That's the only time the community actually has a voice. And this is a time where if your defendant wants to come forward and say, hey, I'd sure like to get some character reference letters, and let me give you some bullet points that you might want to toss into them, we can do just like we did for Danny Trevino and put together a call to action, a plan for people that are wherever they are. You don't have to be in Kansas to write a letter of support. You don't have to be in California. This is people, friends and family, and people who know and support this guy. And frankly, in my opinion, the wider range of people that contact, I think the more impact it actually has. So it's the one time, and like I said, I've sat through sentencing hearings for violent crimes, and it's the most sickening, saddening thing you'll ever go through because you relive the crime. And I watched a, a rape crime, and I've mentioned this before, and all the family members of the victim come up and they tell about how this crime destroyed their lives and their family. And then the victim comes up and tells how it destroyed her life and her family. And then the victim's kid comes up and tells how it destroyed his mom and his life. And it goes on and on and on. And then finally the judge issues a sentence based on the prosecutor's recommendation, the impact statements, and from the victim and the victim's family. Yet, in pot cases, it's like the total other side of that coin. There's never, never, I've sat in dozens and dozens, I don't know if it's been a hundred yet, but it's been dozens for sure, of cases, and I've sat in sentencing hearings all over the country, and to this day, I've yet to see one victim or one victim's family make an impact statement. And yet what happens is the exact opposite. There's impact statements, character reference statements from the defendant and the defendant's family. This is that one time. And you know what? Think about it. You're a judge, right? And you're sentencing and issuing running trials all day long. And you watch this same thing happen. In every scenario, it's the same thing, right? Crime, conviction, impact statement, sentence. And then all of a sudden here, in this totally different thing, it's completely the opposite. You think that doesn't stand out? You think that doesn't have an impact? i got to tell you, it does, and I've heard judges say it every single time as they issue their sentence. And I've even had judges that, and I, I, I think I have some transcripts of this somewhere, but I have one judge that said, you know, I came into this sentencing hearing with my mind made up. But after listening to the testimony of the supporters of the defendant, I see it differently and issued a much lighter sentence than she was going to. And that's happened more than once, but there was one point that I really remember where it was like, <coughs> a lot of times they don't let us testify, sometimes they do. But this was one that they actually let the, um, the supporters testify. And it was powerful, powerful stuff. 
So, I understand you guys are uh, on the um, <clears throat> you guys are on the fast track to educate the community about proper court support. Obviously, I wasn't able to get plane ticket to get to Kansas today. It was just like it was like almost a thousand bucks on short notice, and I was just like, I love you guys, but <laughs> prior proper yeah, planning. Yeah, I guess I'll be publicly speaking, and we know how much I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about obstacles <laughs> and growth. It's good. You'll you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what what you got going on? Uh, yeah, we're going up to Kansas City tomorrow to speak at that KC Normal event, just about court support. I'm going to try. I'll re. I'm going to reread everything, you know, and just kind of go over how the process works from. Uh, meeting up with the defendant and talking about what their plan is, what they would like to see, or if they even want you to be part of it. Right. Um, trying to figure out how deep into it you can get. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you can potentially, the best way to be is to be on the legal team. Absolutely. You know, coming up with strategies, helping them come the right way. Absolutely. You know, just like this case, even though this attorney at first kind of blew off what I was saying, it was almost her whole defense. Right. You know, when it boils down to it. And the, actually, just so you know, the only reason it didn't fly was because the legally, and it's horrible, and it's another reason DAs are horrible, is because in the year 2014, when he caught his case, it didn't matter whether it was hemp or marijuana. They were considered the same thing. Right. So it wouldn't have mattered. In today's modern age, that don't, that, that don't cut the mustard. Right. But then, so, but anyway, that's what we're talking about. We're going to go through the whole process uh, and uh, just kind of explain to people you know, our experiences and where we've screwed up before. You know what's you know, really screwed up about that, though? <clears throat> it's supposed to not go that way. Because we had a case where we had a, a, a defendant that we were supporting, and just before trial, he agreed to take a deal. And the deal was based on the current state of the law changing. And the deal was, well, you're going to be sentenced to whatever. It was probation anyways, but... The judge said, if the law changes before your three years, or I think they gave him a year. I don't remember. It was some period of time. But the judge basically said, well, you got a year for the law to change, and that will affect your sentencing, and I'll dismiss the case. So instead of the prosecutor going, well, it wasn't that way before, they're supposed to go, it is that way now, but that's not the way they think. You know, justice is yeah. is a very subjective thing. But you know what? It's all about the hearts and minds, and mostly the minds. You know, at the end of the day, if we can get people to see this for what it really is and really, really, you know, bring the education, take the worst fears and look at them, let's just see what could have and didn't happen. Because even in the worst laws in, 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 in the United States, the craziest things that have actually happened are nothing. Like, there's been no mayhem, there's been no chaos, there's been no gates of hell opening up, no demons flying up out of dead trees, I mean, like, nothing has happened, nothing, that's, I mean, that's all there is to it, there's, like, zero um, negative impact on society because of this, or guess what, they'd have brought it up, they would have mentioned it, they would have said, oh, we can't do that, because look, this is what happened, Nope, none of it. The only impact is to us for writing shitty laws and 
we keep finding ourselves still being criminals because they didn't finish the job. And that's 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 where it all comes down. Well, awesome. I appreciate you guys uh, doing everything you're doing, and we're going to continue this conversation about effective court support. Um, you know, there's so much to talk about. We're going to keep talking about it. It might take two, three more shows till we get done, but it, it's important enough to keep going over these stories and learning about what really works. Because I tell you what, I sat in probably less than a dozen cases where the court support was effective, like it was spot on. And every time it was spot on, we won. And we didn't always win in the very beginning, and we didn't sometimes win in the middle, but in the end, we always won. And there's some elements that we're talking about that are necessary for this, that a plan is really important. Having an invested defendant is really important. And we're going to talk more and more about that because so many defendants, I think, they don't know, they're afraid, they don't give it the, gravi the, the gravity that it deserves. You know, people just don't see what's going to happen to them. If you have never been locked up, you don't know what's coming. And, and if you've never sat in court and, and, and seen what they can do to you, you don't know what you're up against. And I, I still remember the very beginning, my, my attorney telling me, oh, you're in Long Beach, oh, boy. And I remember him looking at me, shaking his head, going, that's a crazy court. And I'm thinking to myself, woo, crazy, what does that mean? I had no idea what I was walking into till I got into that court, and I learned what crazy meant. And, and, and I got real serious real fast after that. So, but again, you know, when I was going through it, I didn't have a me to ask. I didn't have a human solution to rely on. That's why we made it, because we learned all this stuff. And so that's the deal, you know. You know, Joe, I know you're short on time, but you want me to run through what happened, how yeah. and everything on I, the first base real quick? Hold on, I got a time machine. Let me crank it up just a little bit. All right, we got a few extra minutes. Go on. <laughs> Okay, so when we first wait, hold on, before you go, hold on, wait, 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 hold on, one second. I'm going to give the final letter of that magic word, and the final letter is T. So if you can call up Becca at 646-929-2495 with the magic word, we'll be talking at the end of this about the magic key to success for anything. All right, go ahead, keep going. So in the first case, um, the... We had given him and his girlfriend uh, the week before some pamphlets, you know, some jury notification cards and stuff like that. Because mm -hmm. they were going to go out for the weekend, and we were like, hand them out, whatever. And he actually ended up giving one of the jury notification cards to somebody, who, a random stranger, who was going into the courtroom on the morning of the trial. Right. And that person just happened to be a juror. And so uh, he... Uh, Gave, they gave it to the DA, and they revoked his bond, you know, uh, so he basically had to go to jail. When they went broke for lunch, they had to arrest him, you know. Um, Horrible. It was a terrible deal. You know, the I remember whole, hearing about the it. The whole thing and the way the judge treated us the entire time as if we were, you know, mobsters or something, or we were, you know, because he interrupted the hearing several times to say things like, we're not going to have any staring at the jurors or nodding your head or right, right. agreeing or disagreeing with anything. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, they doubled his bond, but they were talking about the DA and the judge, when they were talking about his bond, were talking about us, you know, like I said, like we were mobsters. I mean, they were just like, they had never seen anything like this. This has never happened in their county. 
And, uh, you know, I just, you know, and there was no jurors in the room. This is 5 o'clock. Everybody's standing up, putting stuff in their folders. It's starting to get pretty informal, you know. And so, I, you know, we're out talking about after 5 o'clock, trials and all. I raised my hand, and the judge just flew off the handle. Bam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, I, he said, excuse me. And I said, yes, sir, I figured I would identify us. And he didn't. He said, I don't care who you are. You interrupted me, bailiff, get him out. Over. And so I couldn't go for the end of the trial the next day. But, you know, we drove home. It was a beautiful sunset. And I was like, oh, my God, my dude is uh, watching this right now. And I feel like it's my fault. You know what I mean? Like, I totally screwed this up. And, uh, you know, later he said, you know, he said himself, you know, I knew that I shouldn't have been doing that at that time for sure. You know, that was my bad, not yours. But, I'm, you know, I, I, he just liked the idea that, you know, we shared his pain through the whole thing. But, right. Anyway, needless to say, the jury ended up deliberating for three or four hours, and uh, they got a hung jury. You know, they were right, right. what it ended up being. Yeah. But it was a pretty stressful deal, and, and then when you come back and lose this time, it's like, yeah. I know, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, you know it we is. Got Larry Burgess coming up. Right. Well, and that's the thing, okay? As we're going along, I mean, it, it, you guys are, 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 are fairly new at this, first of all, and... As you look back, I mean, I, I've been doing this specific kind of activism for 10 years now, and I look back over the bumps that were these kind of things, and you're like, oh, wow. All right, then you can look back at it from a kind of a further back point of view, and you're like, okay, I see what I did wrong. With just a little tweak over there, and it would have been all right, you know? And that's the key to this thing is always taking it from – I mean, you guys are coming at it from a pure point of view. You're actually trying to help these people, and that's all you're trying to do. You're going through a sacrifice to help these people. You're going out of your way to put your heart into educating and helping. So if something goes wrong, it's not because you're just being ignorant. It's not because you're being foolish. It's not because you're 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 being clumsy. It's just you didn't know something, and you you you, you zigged when you should have zagged. But the thing is, you get better at it. And and what happens is is you learn. As the defendant comes to you, you learn to say, look, if you want me to help you, we got to make a plan. And, right. and I'm going to go back to Kyler Carricker's case, which was, you know, one of the last big trials that I organized, and it was organized well. It was brought to my attention over a month in advance that we want your help. We want the human solution to help, and we'll do what it takes to get this done. Great. So we had numerous conference calls to organize the leadership of this thing. They flew me out there. In advance of the trial, we sat down and had face-to-face meeting. We went to the courthouse. We cased out our plan. This is where the jury's going to be sitting. Here's where we're going to be messaging. We went into this thing with a dress rehearsal. Everybody knew how to act. They knew what not to do. We had our messaging down, and ultimately we were successful. And it didn't make it easy. It just meant that we were more prepared for the shit that came. They came after us, man. These cops wanted us out of there. And they looked for any way to get us. And they literally would, like, stand over us, trying to, like, intimidate us away. And we're just looking at them going, nope. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, if I'm doing something wrong, tell me what it is and I'll change. But I think I'm okay. <laughs> and yeah, let's have a conversation. You exactly. You know what I mean? Don't just come at me just being stuck in a place of authority or power. Let's actually talk like humans. Exactly. The level of ignorance is unbelievable, <laughs> especially when it comes to, you know, the judges, the VAs, even the defense lawyers, they don't even understand what they're talking about. None of them do. And it's so horrible. 
guy got up there proclaimed to be a professional at this stuff and couldn't define the difference between hemp and marijuana. I know. You know what I mean? And they don't know the strains. They don't know the, the nothing of it. You know, oh, it's horrible to listen to. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and, you know, one of the things that we'll be talking later on, not in this show, but in another edition of it, we're going to be talking about all the things we can do and, and, and interacting with the attorney and being part of the legal team. And one of the things that we can do is get qualified as an expert witness. And the thing with expert witnesses is that there's no standard of an expert. Like, it doesn't say you have to have a master's degree in the subject. It doesn't mean you have to have, um, you know, you don't have to have published a paper. You don't have to, um, the judge qualifies every expert. And the judge decides straight up, do you have an expert in your field? The qualification for an expert is somebody who has more experience in the topic matter than the average layperson. That's the measure of, of standard that the judge decides. So, frankly, any one of us could get qualified by the court as an expert witness on any number of topics. And I've been qualified in several uh, court cases, and I've been able to testify in a couple of them. You know, they, te- they qualified me in one, and then they wouldn't let me testify. It's like, okay, what was the point of that? You know, but it doesn't matter. We just get up there and we just keep trying. You know, we're just these relentless friggin' things that just won't stop. And we just keep coming and we keep coming and we keep coming. And that gets to, again, what that magic word is. And we're going to get to it before the show's over. Well, you guys, I am now uh, an hour and seven minutes into a one-hour show. i got to turn the time machine back a little bit again because i got still a couple of guests that i got to get to. And we're going to get through, but I, hopefully we'll be done Sooner than I think, I think your show has gotten big enough, Joe. You're going to have to make it two hours instead of three. It, you're going to have to bump it to two. I know. It, it, it was two hours, but right I kept. Things are starting to pop. I know, I know. I know. Mike, you're Tom. I keep trying to shorten it. Anyways, all right, Mike and Sarah, you guys are awesome. How does somebody get connected with you if they want to be part of the Kansas chapter of the Human Solution International? Uh, you can just look up the Kansas chapter of the Human Solution International on Facebook or the Human Solution International dot org, dhsi dot org. dot org. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Yep. Now the next step, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out who Fire Tablet is, and let's go see. I think you're probably Dana. All right. Who do we have here? Fire Tablet. Who are you? No pregnant pauses here. We need some audio. They're gonna have to start their video. Yeah, I don't. I, I asked them to do that. Is it Dana? There he is. All right. I thought it was a good guesser. Connect your audio up, Dana. We're once again running short on time, but we're gonna get to everybody like we always do. He's connecting. Slow motion cowbell. Always entertaining. All right, here we go. Oh, well, I'm trying. All right. <laughs> I would have kept going on that for a while. All right, Dana. This is <laughs> Dana Bland, Hope for Change in the End of Prohibition chapter of the Human Solution International out of Missouri with a 
another lengthy update that's going to be condensed into a Reader's Digest version so we can all take it and understand what's going on. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty busy around here. I got I got my shirt, too. So, uh, all right. But, I mean, the, 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 the court went okay. Uh, they made us sit there the entire day while they uh, emptied the courtroom, uh, and then Zach was the only one, and then they decided to go ahead and do that case. And, and uh, I mean, I think he was, the judge was trying to wake me out of that courtroom because he kept giving me the evil eye so many times. But, but he, he, you know, it made no sense. They got an investigator that was up there testifying. He didn't know what he was talking about, and he's only been on the force a few years, and he's not experienced enough to do what he's doing. But he he just made up a lie. He was tripping all over himself. Uh, I'm sure he was pretty nervous because he knew there was witnesses in the courtroom to see it happen. And the next witness really didn't do much anything. But I figured when we go back, we might be able to end this, I hope. Uh, but, yeah, Ford Dem was there. He was real good. Well, everybody liked that guy. And we gave out a lot of information, talked to a lot of people outside, too. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get through this. And, I mean, there's we end up, we got more cases coming out of that town, by the way, uh, from California, Missouri, a whole truckload of them. Wow. And there's a bunch everywhere else, too. So, so now Zach, we really got to get busy. Zach's and, case is about an alleged mailing um, cannabis from one place to the other. Um, what was the end result of the hearing? Well, the judge went ahead and said he couldn't prove that it wasn't cannabis, so he used that as his, uh, you know, uh, proof to, to go to the next stage. Okay, so and, that was uh, like a preliminary hearing. And he, probable, I gave a probable cause. Got it. All right, well, you almost assume that, you know, um, very seldom does a judge drop a case at prelim. For the most part, though, the burden of proof is very low to take it from the complaint to a trial. They just have to show that there's enough evidence to have a trial over it. That's all they have to show. So generally the defense doesn't get to present any evidence. It's a one-sided presentation and more often than not, I've seen a couple of cases dismissed at prelim, but most of the time they move on to trial. So this is not unusual. Uh, they're starting to make arrests all over the state now, it looks like, uh, of people that in possession that are cardholders and legally are able to hold it. Now, the DHSS, or whatever you call it, the one that's controlling this whole thing, wrote a letter to the uh, all the police and, and made up for part of it, but they wouldn't go all the way because I guess they don't want to, they want to still be the government and rule over everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, between, between, Marijuana charges and uh, the Child Protective Services, it's just getting ridiculous. And we just, we got to get a lot of people more more active. We need more people. It's true. It's absolutely true. That's part of our mission is to organize and bring people together. And, you know, that's what this show is about. If you're anywhere in Missouri, um, it looks like we're going to be breaking the hope for change and the end of prohibition chapter into kind of two pieces because you got to, big enough state and enough area to cover, people don't realize is that, you know, having one mm -hmm. one set of people yeah. doing all mm -hmm. the support
support is difficult when they got to drive more than 50 miles or so. And when they're driving 150, 200 miles to go to a court appearance, it's brutal. And so we gotta we gotta learn to reach locally and and divide our resources and have the people attend hearings um, that are the most local. And then if it comes to a jury trial, that's when everybody comes out from wherever they need to, and we we bring all the all the all the bells and whistles as we can, and in the worst of all case scenarios, if it's a sentencing hearing, that's when we really want to bring everybody. That's that's the the mother of all court hearings is a sentencing hearing. So just remember when you're listening and you're and you're listening about um, what the status of a of a hearing is. We're going to talk all about the different stages of court um, as we go along with this topic. I'm seeing probably two or three more episodes, but. Um, you have pretrial, which is all the way up until you pick a jury. And every pretrial hearing, the preliminary hearing is probably the most important one that anybody might attend to. And if you're going to come to a, you know, drive any distance to go to a hearing, a preliminary hearing would be the one that you'd want to go to. Sometimes there's motions and limiting and, and different motion hearings that might be important to see just so you can see the direction of the trial and and depending on your connection to the defendant. But then when you come to jury selection, that's when it's a whole nother ball game. So if you get to that stage of the game where you're picking that jury, that's when we want to get everybody there. And then if you get to the unfortunate situation where somebody is convicted and um, we have a sentencing, that's our last chance. That's the last time we have to be there for them. And it's our opportunity. We might get an opportunity to speak on their behalf. You definitely have an opportunity to write a letter, and that's when letters can actually really matter the most. So, all right, Dana. Well, is there anything else you wanted to add to this? Uh, yeah. Uh, what I'm doing when I go down to uh, uh, protest and court support, especially when I'm going to have a lot of people from now on, is call a meeting together before we go to court, into court and talk to the people about how to act. And then if they do get upset, it'd be better just to get up and leave the courtroom than to cause a scene. Yes. And that way it won't make one of us to take and try to calm that down to keep them from getting in trouble. Yes. And I highly advise, and we're going to get into the strategic plan, but even if you can't get big enough to really figure out an entire plan for the, for the strategy, <coughs> at very least, you need somebody who's like the, you know how they have a jury foreman? We need a court support foreman. We need somebody who huddles everybody up long before you go inside that courtroom and say, okay, remember, this is the rules. This is the world we're living in. This is what we need to see. Let's look at you all. Everybody look okay? Okay, good enough. Let's see your cell phones. They off? Okay, great. Remember, don't this, don't that, don't this. Make sure, make sure, make sure, and let's go in there and support this person and nothing else. And if you do that, it just drives it home, you know, and and it empowers us even more and we have more of a positive impact. So you're spot on with that and we're going to continue getting into the details of that and how to be effective and things I've seen work and things I've seen work against us. All right, Gina. Yeah. Well, well, we're hoping to change the air. Go ahead. You're good. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. We're, we're hoping for change in anti-prohibition, the human solution. 
uh, international chapter court support here in southwest Missouri. We, our, our, our shortest trip has only been, has been 90 miles. Everything else has been between 165 to 265 mile trip every single time. And believe me, it's not cheap. <laughs> but be safe out there, especially this time of year when we're going to have snow and stuff because these people still need people to come even if it snows. And I'm sure most of us know how to drive in the snow a little bit if we're in that kind of states. So let's not desert our uh, clients out there that that's asked us for help and really back them up, try to keep them calm and, and, and give them some prep talks and stuff to, to keep their emotions down. You know, they're going to want to talk a lot, but, you know, wearing a suit for one, you know, is a really good thing to do if you can, because they really, really respect that in the court and, and it threatens them. So it gives us a little bit of power just by the way we dress. So from UN Solutions here in Southwest Missouri, y'all have a good night. Awesome. Thank you so much. Dana Bland, folks, Hope for Change in the End of Prohibition chapter of the Human Solution International. All right. Now, um, let's see. What do we got going on here? We're going to – here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we keep needing to do and we keep forgetting to do. So we got so much going on that we gobble up two hours in a one-hour show. We're not going to do two hours. We got 11 minutes left of even our hour and a half. However, <clears throat> the Walk for Change has picked up some sponsors, and it's about to pick up a lot more sponsors. And if you are a sponsor for the Walk for Change, and included in your package is a commercial for the podcast. That's this podcast. That's Pete and Helen's podcast. That's Candace's podcast. And that's Bobby's podcast. Send us the commercial. It needs to be 30 seconds or less on an MP3 or similar profile and we will play it for you, and here's one example of a sponsor for the Walk for Change. Natural and handmade, right in the USA, lotions, butters, and cream, best in CBD, skin care that you
Well, you know, the thing of it is, is we just got to keep showing up. One of the things people don't realize is, you know, they try to wear us down. And, you know, like I, I, I laid out the timeline in my case, it started out in uh, 2009 and ended in 2014. And it was court case after court case after hearing after hearing after hearing and I had to drive 70 miles one direction to get to court every single time and I had to be on time and I couldn't be late and they would have locked my ass up if I was late even one time and most right. of the time it, it becomes court, monotonous yeah well not only that but most of the time you go you just turn around and go back home because they had some kind of a continuance or somebody didn't show up or this or that or the other thing and the worst thing was when they said, well, that's great, come back tomorrow. And you had already taken the day off work. You had already scheduled to take the day to go to court, and nope, got to do it again. So they wreck your life every way they possibly can, and they wear you down, and they beat you up, and that's where that magic word comes in. If you don't have it, um, it makes it awful difficult. If you have it, you, you'll, you'll be using it, I can assure you. So. Glenn, I appreciate uh, you staying the course, hanging in there, um, keeping that positive mental attitude. you got to have it, grow it, nurture it, build it, propagate it, make more of it, and share it with your friends. That's, your, that, that's one of your keys to success. Absolutely, yeah. And if you know, you're in Ohio and you hear this and you're watching the show or anything, uh, reach out to the Creative Care Beacon. We are the Ohio chapter of the Human Solution International. And if you really can't find me there, Glenn Keeling on the Internet there, or 419-863-0498, because we're still running around and supporting other people in their cases and doing all we can. Um, Adam Fogelman is going through a rough time right now with his case there, uh, uh, so we we we're doing a lot of support. So we, yeah, reach out to us so we you know we can get support to you. Absolutely, and that's you know probably the best message right there. Help us because we'll help you. You know, it, it's it's really what it all boils down to. I, I didn't get enough time to talk about what motivates us, but generally what motivates people is things that they find important to them. And if you got busted or a friend of yours got busted, it would all of a sudden magically become important to you. And so think about it that way, you know. Imagine if you got busted, who'd be there for you? And it's a much smaller number than you would ever think because most of the time when you get busted, people run the other way, and they don't come to help you. So build your team before you need it. Hopefully you never will need it. <clears throat> and I can tell you this. If you've ever helped somebody in court, there can't hardly be a more rewarding thing to do to be there for somebody when nobody's there, and generally it's not an environment where support happens, and to be there, it's one of the most meaningful things I've ever done in my life, and I would always do it if I ever had the opportunity and the need was there. I'd never turn it down. So um, that's how it is, folks. All right, Glenn, well, I appreciate you being here, and give us one more time how to get a hold of you if they want to get involved in Ohio with the Creative Care Beacon Chapter of the Human Solution International. Oh, it's real simple. You just go to uh, Facebook, there's Glenn Keeling, or you can find Peggy Sue Kimmel, or simply call me at 419-863-0498. Awesome. Thank you so much, Glenn. Ah, we lost Becca. I thought I was going to have 
at least to hear <clears throat> who got the answer. I thought I saw we had a winner, winner, chicken dinner, and she dumped off before. Becca, if you're listening, come back to us for a minute. I don't know if you can. Actually, uh, no, I think you still could. Anyways, all right, four minutes left of the show. I got two people left to speak. Jeff Eichen, you're coming up for maybe a minute. This is what we got. One of these days we'll plan it better. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. How's it going? All I'm right, you had your audio going. Good job. Yeah, um, should I turn my phone off? Yeah, you don't need your phone. Unless you want to drive us absolutely back to crazy. Oh, now I can't hear you here. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. You got it? Can you hear me? I hear you just fine. Now you got 30 seconds. I, I got 30 seconds. Okay, so I'm going to give you an update on Michael Thompson. Yesterday on the ABC News, a Michigan man serving 60 years in prison. Michael Thompson, 68, has been in prison for nine, since 1969. A jury convicted him of three counts of selling marijuana and two counts of illegal possession of a firearm of, as a felony offender. Thompson, then 45, was arrested during the sale where no weapons were recovered on him or in his vehicle. The guns were recovered from his home after a search warrant was executed on December 19, 1994. Because Thompson's past convictions, the trial judge rendered the maximum sentence for each drug charge to run concurrently. Thompson's sentence was 40 to 60 years. His earliest release from Muskegon Correctional Facilities, which I went and visited him there with his lawyer last year, is April 2038. According to online records, he has never committed a violent act. According to the free Michael Thompson online Michael was um, website, Michael was labeled violent because the police found guns at his house, even though the Michigan people can legally openly carry guns. One was an antique and another one was his wife. During, uh, so everybody, today we put in Michael's papers on the governor's desk. Woo! Right. We so we got that in. in. We're really proud. Dee Dee helped. Um, uh, Kimberly Corral helped. And um, and I'm just really, really, really um, excited for everybody. And um, uh, so that's all I know. That's all I need to, to share with you today. Um if anybody wants to know about another project that's on, um, HUDOC, H-U-D-O-K dot info, um, if you sign that before February 10th and get it back to them in the way that you can hear that, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that our team should know about. I can't explain it to you exactly what it is, but H-U-D-O-K, for those of you that want to see it and, and go in there, something that I represent, HUDOC dot info. You can find me on lifersthemovie.com, and I love what we're all doing together. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jeff Eichen, folks, Lifers the Movie and part of the team. All right. I got Tom Corby now with about a minute to go, and let's see what Tom's got to say. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. you got about a minute. Uh, one minute. Thanks, Joe. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and and, uh, Lisa and Becca and the Coffee Party Radio Show Uh, when we talk about court support oh my god 
uh, it's a dog and pony show in there, and you won't, you will not realize until you do some court support the laws of injustice inside those courtrooms. We always have a dress and code of conduct. We always come with our best manners. Signs on the wall say no talking, so have a pen and be writing. I don't wonder what you're writing. Sometimes defendants really don't want court support, and they don't appreciate it. So, well, first of all, what does the defendant want? And a lot of times you don't need a lot of people there that need some support, whatever, and some advocation and some guidance of what to do and what not to do. Well, we talk about cases. I can't believe how weak they're getting. And I want to thank Jackie Cordova. She was here for a few days for all she's doing. If you remember about her case, uh, she was uh, arrested in uh, Irving, California, uh, resisting misdemeanor and using marijuana. And I asked what the probable cause was, and they smelled smoke. So uh, she was in her car. First thing I asked is make sure that the, the car is not running and the keys are not available. Otherwise, they'll get you for a DUI. Thank God she didn't. Uh, they, uh, I guess she said two ladies uh uh, well, for re- resisting arrest, it's a misdemeanor. They roughed her up pretty good. Uh, I see a grievance here. I see a, a, a lawsuit coming against them. I'll give three to one odds on this case. I told her right away. And when I when you tell a defendant that you'll give them two to three to one odds, okay, so you dismiss. Can you imagine how they're relieved? Uh, Jackie's so grateful. And we need more like her. When they mess with people like Jackie, they mess with the wrong people. So she finally goes to a hearing on January 9th. It wasn't even filed. There's no, there's really no case here. Uh, they have one year to file her case. Again, I doubt if this case is going anywhere. And we'll, we will not need court support. It's not going to trial. It's not going anywhere. This is what we do for defendants. We advocate. We always get all our discovery. We throw everything back at them. And that's always probable cause, which smelling smoke is not probable cause. We always throw that 9-9 dismiss motion. After, uh, sometimes you have to make a deal. And we respect that, too. And we learn now that once you pay your fines and finish your probation, your case should automatically be dismissed. We don't want to hear anything but a dismissal. And then, because you want to protect your record from there. So I want to thank everybody again today uh, for coming together to finally end prohibition and free all our POWs. And Michael Thompson, if anybody, time for him to be set free. And 
Thank you all today, and, and don't forget to breathe. Well, thank you so much, Tom Corby, and uh, we got a lot of big announcements coming here in the next few weeks, so stay tuned, y'all. I appreciate you being here. We're going to continue this talk about court support, grassroots organizing, and being effective. It goes across the board. It has to do with a lot more than any of these specifics, and it has to do with making the changes we want to see in the world. Help us. Get involved. Walk for change. Walk number four change dot us and thsintl dot org. And since I didn't get the answer to the prize, it looked like I had it, then it went away. I'm going to win the prize. And the answer was grit. 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 We'll talk about grit next week. If you come and uh, call in the show at the very very beginning, and you can repeat that word. To our screener, you will win the prize. So all you got to do, if you're listening now, you're one of the few that stay to the very end. I'm notorious for leaving nuggets at the very end, and there's one for you all. All right, folks, let's see what Willie's got to say about it all, and we'll see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Should have said and done. You were all.